GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, Farm Credit Canada says this country's food and beverage manufacturers are facing a challenging year. We'll hear from FCC Chief Economist J.P. Gervais. The Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association is holding its annual fundraising auction today and tomorrow on the Internet. We'll hear from President Garner Diabold, who will be talking about the Riding for the Brand auction. A weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prohitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX and Agriculture. Farm Credit Canada says this country's food and beverage manufacturers are facing a challenging year. FCC Chief Economist J.P. Gervais says food and beverage manufacturing sales rose 10.6% last year to $156 billion dollars but growth will be much more modest in 2023. Well, it's been a challenging year for the food processing sector. Um, it's been a year characterized by, the, by inflation, just like any other levels of the supply chain, you know, whether it's you know, farmers or food processors and retailers, all levels of the supply chain really face significant inflation. But if you look at cost increases in food processing, uh, yes, sales went up by you know, a little bit over 10%, but cost actually went up quite a bit more. And so margins have been quite tighter and quite weaker in 2022. Now, there's a little bit of a rebound on the horizon for food processors in 2023, but I really do think that we're looking at a major pivot, right, from some supply challenges that we've had in food processing in 2022, higher cost of production because higher price of inputs and so forth, to demand challenges because of Canadian consumers facing a little bit more pressure on the wallet and looking to perhaps shift their purchasing patterns when it comes to food, perhaps go to lower value products and so forth. So I do think that we're going to witness in 2023 a major shift and it's, I think it's critical for businesses in the food processing sector to anticipate and look at their strategy going into this year. He provides his forecast for 2023. Well, limited growth, really, when it comes to the value of sales for food processors. We're forecasting 2.2% growth in the value of their shipments overall in 2023. So that's uh, weaker than what we had in 2022, considering that we still have faced with quite a bit of inflation. So when we measure overall sales in dollars and say that you know those sales are going to go up 2.2%, and we know that inflation is still going to be relatively significant in food. You know, where you know food inflation currently stands at 9.7 percent, it's going to come down, but it's not going to it's going to remain elevated for quite some time. So, with major inflation and sales only when it going up by 2.2 percent, that really means that you know we're seeing a little bit of a decline when it comes to the volume 
of what is sold by food processors. A couple of, well, many different reasons actually behind this. Maybe a little bit of a some uncertainty when it comes to export markets. You know, what's, what's going on in the global economy, some of the unknowns, uncertainty with respect to the war in Ukraine, with respect to the situation in China and so forth. So we expect that with a bit of a global economic slowdown, we might see a fewer exports coming from food processors. And, and domestically, uh, I do think it's all about consumers, Canadian consumers actually shifting to lower value products. So overall, a little bit of headwinds for food processors in 2023. Gervais expands on the shift he's seeing in consumer spending. Well, consumers are going to face some pressures. I mean, we have a strong labor market in Canada, and we've seen wages go up, you know, at the pace of 5% year over year. So that's the good news for consumers. Overall, inflation's coming down, right? So we're at, like, around 5.2% right now. So with wages still being going up at a fairly strong pace and inflation coming down, and we do think that inflation is going to come down to 3% by summer. So, you know, from that standpoint, we could think that, well, consumers are going to do well because their income is going to go up and their income in relative terms, even after accounting for inflation, income is going to be going up. But the reality as well is that consumers take on more debt in 2022 and they're going to have to service this debt at much higher interest rates than what we had only a year ago. And so that's going to really take a chunk of the uh, the wallet, the consumers in 2023, which means that consumers are going to have to make some choices when it comes to food purchases. Now, we're pretty fortunate in the food business that we are an industry that's relatively immune to economic cycles. I mean, in the sense that, you know, we're, Canadians are still going to spend on food, but they're probably going to spend a little bit differently. And so I do think that we don't want to think for granted, take for granted the fact that, you know, consumers are going to make some switches and some, some changes in their food purchasing patterns and perhaps go to lower products or lower value products just to just face with some inflation and a bit of a, a pressure on their wallets. In conclusion, he says food and beverage manufacturers will need to adapt. Well, I, I, so when it, you think of margins that are being pressured, uh, I think the one of the things that makes the most sense, for example, is to invest in automation and bring more equipment and food processing plants. We have labor shortages, nothing new. I mean, we've been dealing with these labor shortages even prior to the beginning of the pandemic. So we are going to be facing these challenges for years to come, though. And so I think it's important for businesses to position themselves to face the labor shortages that we have in in the economy. And I think short term, we might see a little bit of a a headwind when it comes to demand for food that's coming from from other countries. But midterm and long term, I'm still super positive and optimistic that we're going to have a major role to play in in alleviating some of the food insecurity that, that goes in the world, right? So I think, you know, midterm, long-term, I think the outlook remains extremely positive. I think now there's the opportunity for food processors to position themselves, make some investments, think of future labor shortages and make, you know, position themselves to be successful. That's J.P. Gervais. He is the chief economist with Regina-based FCC. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. Japan is lifting the last of its restrictions against Canadian beef 20 years after BSE devastated this country's cattle industry. The federal government says Japan is reopening its doors to processed beef and beef patties from Canada. The move puts an end to the market access barriers Japan put in place in 2003 
after a case of BSE was discovered in Alberta. While Japan initially shut its border to all Canadian beef, it has been lifting restrictions in stages over the years, most recently with its 2019 decision to begin accepting Canadian beef from cattle older than 30 months of age. The federal government says Japan is now Canada's second largest market for beef, with exports worth $518 million in 2022. Around 40 countries closed their borders to Canadian beef during the height of the 2003 BSE crisis, resulting in billions of dollars in losses for the industry. CN and CP Rail supplied a combined 91% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 33, an improvement from the previous week's 88%, and the best performance seen for the two railways combined since Week 4 in late August. The improvement in performance reflects a slight decline in performance for CN and improved performance for CP. In supplying 90% of hopper cars ordered on time in Week 33, CN's order fulfillment performance declined slightly from the 93% order fulfillment performance seen in Week 32. This marks the second consecutive week that CN has supplied 90% or more of cars ordered in a week. CP order fulfillment performance improved once again, with the railway supplying 93% of cars ordered, an improvement from the 83% order fulfillment performance seen in week 32. This marks the first time in 28 weeks since week 5 in August that CP has supplied 90% or more of cars ordered in a week. CP order fulfillment performance has now improved for three consecutive weeks. Canada will be exporting more pawn ash to a South Asian country. On March 17th, Federal Trade Minister Mary Ng announced a contract between Canpotex, a Saskatchewan-based potash supplier, the government of Bangladesh, and the Canadian Commercial Corporation. Established in 1946, the Canadian Commercial Corporation is a crown corporation that supports international trade by helping Canadian exporters access foreign government buyers. Through this contract, the volume of Canadian potash exported to Bangladesh will increase. In 2022, Bangladesh imported about $500 million of Canadian potash. Tyson Foods gave its chicken suppliers two months' notice of its plan to shut down a Virginia processing plant in May, raising concerns among farmers and legal experts about the company's compliance with antitrust regulations, requiring it to give 90 days' notice before ending a contract. The planned closure of the plant has left dozens of Virginia chicken growers scrambling to find new buyers in a region with few other options. It could also expose Tyson to fines under the century-old Packers and Stockyards Act, the U.S. antitrust law requiring the minimum advance warning. Tyson is not cancelling any farmers' contracts and instead has committed to paying the growers for the full term of their remaining contracts, keeping in compliance with federal regulations. Antitrust issues, particularly in meatpacking, have been a priority for the U.S. Department of Agriculture under President Joe Biden, who in 2021 directed federal agencies to tackle consolidation. Four companies, including Tyson, control 55 to 85 percent of the beef, pork, and chicken markets.
United Malt Group of Australia has received an indicative non-binding offer from Maltiri's Souffle, a branch of French agribusiness in vivo, valuing it at $1.5 billion Australian. The $5 Australian per share offer represents a 45.3% premium to United Malt's last close of $3.44 Australian. In vivo, which acquired agribusiness Pierre Souffle last year, has said it aims to become the world's top malt producer within five years through external growth. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this message. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's sunny and minus 10 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. The Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association is holding its annual fundraising auction today and tomorrow on the Internet. President Garner Diabald of Hodgeville says the Riding for the Brand auction showcases some great items with bidding closing at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. Yeah, the fundraising auction is for uh, stock growers here, again, uh, you know, just to support the industry, uh, you know, to continue to, to work for the industry. And this is one way that we can raise some funding and, and also put that money to work in advocating for the industry and making sure that we have a strong organization that is here for uh, farmers and ranchers. He tells us how much money they raised last year. We were uh, in in that seventy to eighty thousand dollar range, and again, we're expecting it to be there. We've got some really good items on auction here this year, and I sure would encourage people to go to our website here. There's a link there to the auction and something the Farmgate auction. It's all online, and just have a look at the items there, and I'm sure there'll be something there. There's something there for everyone. Diabald outlines some of the items in the auction. Oh, there are things in the item from uh, trips to Mexico to uh, items like wholesale credits. There's items in there, uh, stud services for uh, breeding uh, quarter horses and, you know, lots of other smaller items, uh, alfalfa seed, cover crop seed. And so it it covers a wide range of things that uh, would be interesting, uh, I think, to all farmers and ranchers for sure. He notes the deadline is fast approaching. Yeah, 6 o'clock tomorrow is the deadline, and so just check it out and uh, get online, and I would sure encourage you to do that. On another topic, Diabald comments on the fact that Japan is finally allowing Canadian processed beef to enter their country 20 years after the BSE crisis here. Yes, it's hard to believe that it's been uh, 20 years now since the borders had closed like that and, and, you know, that we're finally getting around to having a full access to the Japanese market. It's very uh, much appreciated and and it's something that will support our industry here in Canada and, you know, to have the access to the Japanese market. They've always been good customers and, you know, it's just finally to get around to that where things are back to normal with that market. And so I think it's just a really good news story and something that we need to, you know, appreciate. He says the Japanese market is very important to Canadian beef producers. Yes, the Japanese market is something that dollar value-wise, it is huge. It's something that they support our market, they enjoy it, and it's something that the market, I think, it's in, in the billions of dollars, and, and so, you know, again, it's something that will definitely, you know, increase the bottom line for our producers here. So, you know, the market is a high-value market, 
am. Any of those markets really do help us out here at the grassroots level. Diabald also looks forward to working with the new president of the Canadian Cattle Association, Nathan Finney. Yeah, so Nathan Finney is a really good hand, someone that has been involved with Canadian cattlemen for many years, and he has a, a really strong background in the Maritimes in the cattle industry. And so Nathan, I, I think, is a, a very strong individual that will follow up behind Reds nicely. You know, untimely to have Reds not there now, but again, I think Nathan is somebody that can carry the torch for cattlemen, and is someone there that I think Canadian cattlemen is, is in good hands with Nathan out the help. Garner Diabald is the president of the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association. It's time now for the livestock market conditions and their presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdon. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for April closed at 164.95 today. That's up five. June live cattle closed at 158.90, up two. April feeder cattle closed at 197.22, down 40. May feeder cattle closed at 280, that's down 57. April lean hogs closed at 77.75, down 87. May lean hogs closed at 86, even, down 72. And that's the livestock market conditions. Hi. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. A weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon. U.S. wheat futures closed mixed on the week. The wheat markets were influenced by stronger corn futures, weather in the wheat growing areas of the U.S., and false rumors that Russia would restrict wheat exports. For significant purchases and trades, there was no reported tender business last week following the previous week's large trade volume. There will be more sales this coming week with Jordan and Turkey both in the market. U.S. weekly wheat sales were 126,000 tons last week, which makes for a season total of 658 million bushels, down 5% from last year compared to the USDA's expected 3% decline. In the most important news that happened last week, the focus was on Russia. There were rumors last week circulating that the Russian government was going to put a halt on exports. These rumors were false. Russia needs the money generated from its wheat sales to finance the war, but it did cause for a volatile end to the week. The Russian government has also allegedly asked exporters to pay farmers at least the average cost of production. This could cause Russian fob prices to find a floor at $275 a ton. We will see. In Canada. Canadian exporters shipped another 465,500 tons of wheat in shipping week 33 for a season total of 12.8 million tons. The average weekly export pace to date is 388,000 tons per week, which is almost 50,000 tons per week more than what is needed to meet the AAFC's 19.3 million ton estimate. Canadian wheat exports tend to seasonally pick up into springtime and peak in May before slowing into harvest. 
For Canadian Durham, Durham exports in week 33 were strong at 196,000 tons for a season total of 3.5 million tons. This is 2 million tons more than this time last year. Now, 63% through the marketing year, Canada has exported 74% of the AAFC's total export projection. Producer deliveries were also strong at 120,000 tons for a season total of 4 million tons. This means that farmers have delivered approximately 73% of their production, and they still have about 1.5 million tons on hand. As we're on Durham, we calculate that Durham production in major exporting countries for the upcoming year will rise by 8.5% from last year to 17.4 million tons. Most of the global increase in production is from a 10% increase in the EU from the drought-impacted crop of last year. Mexico is forecasting its Durham crop will be 2.1 million tons, which we think is too high. Production in the US and Canada will be steady to slightly higher. Drought in North Africa is causing production in the importing countries to be essentially unchanged from last year's drought-impacted crop. Production is expected to recover somewhat in Morocco, but this will be entirely offset by a falling crop in Tunisia. We think that global imports in the upcoming season will be down slightly. Offsetting changes in North Africa should keep imports there relatively steady, but we are estimating that imports from the EU will be down about 200,000 tons from last year, as it produces a larger share of its needs domestically. And over to the US. Dry conditions persist in the southwest plains, and a large amount of snow in the northern plains and lake states are causing concerns about hard red winter wheat production and delayed hard red spring wheat planting. The USDA will release its first ideas for seeded area on Friday. Farm Futures estimates that wheat area will total 45.7 million acres for the upcoming crop season. This would be a 5.6 thousand acre shift from last year, with a 6% lower spring wheat total and a 3% increase in winter wheat. The average of 33 analyst estimates compiled by Bloomberg is much larger at 49 million acres. We believe that wheat acres will be higher. With that said, snowpack and cold temperatures are starting to cause some to think that prevent plant could be larger. And over to Australia, wheat futures in Australia closed at 8-month lows on Friday. Soil moisture conditions are good, and seeding will begin in April there, but the El Nino is expected to hurt production prospects. In Argentina, exporters in Argentina have shipped almost 40% of what we estimate to be to their total exportable surplus. Argentine 12% pro-wheat is about $325 per tonne on a FOB basis, which is far too high to attract demand. The wheat-growing region in Argentina has received some rain, but more will be needed before May planting time. In India, heavy rain and hail have damaged some of India's wheat crop. This comes after India's promising-looking crop was scorched by extreme temperatures. And in the European Union, Matif wheat futures saw a strong bounce at the end of the week following the rumors from Russia. The rally was not enough to cause EU wheat from closing lower on the week because of earlier losses due to the seven-week high price in the euro. Crop conditions in France continue to be excellent at 95% good to excellent. In the Black Sea, we'll repeat that there were some rumblings about plans to slow down exports from Russia. These rumors were false. 
but the Russian government has told exporters that they need to keep export prices high enough to pay farmers at least the average production cost. To accomplish this, we estimate Russian exporters will need to charge a minimum of $275 a ton on a FOB basis. The Russian government will buy 10 million tons of wheat for their strategic reserves, which is 7 million tons more than what they bought last year. And no one knows how long the trade corridor has been extended for. Ukrainian officials say it has been extended for 120 days, while Russian officials say it has been extended for just 60 days. For the coming week, the USDA planting intentions report is out on Friday. In our view, new crop values suggest more corn and spring wheat and fewer soybean acres, but it remains to be seen what the USDA gives the market. Black Sea politics will continue to play a major role as the Northern Hemisphere winter growing and spring planting seasons get underway. China has been buying large amounts of US corn, and if this continues, we expect corn futures will be higher and wheat should follow suit. All this falls under the context of a financial crisis, which, in our view, is far from over. We are sold out of old crop and will wait before selling additional new crop. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Commodities Update, and that's a presentation of Lane Realty. When it's time to sell the farm, call Lane Realty, your trusted and experienced farmland real estate company. To include your property for showings, call 620-7260 or visit lanerealty.com. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed up across the board again today. May canola closed at 762.40, up $9.20. July canola closed at $748 per metric ton, up $5.90. May Minneapolis wheat closed at $882.5, up $0.09. Cents. May Kansas City wheat closed at $872.5, up $0.12.25. May Chicago wheat closed at six ninety-nine and three quarters. That's up one and three quarters of a cent. May corn closed at 647 and a quarter, down one cent. May soybeans closed at 1467 and three quarters, up 25 and a half cents. May oats closed at 379 and a quarter, up two cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. An Alberta-based agricultural cooperative is expanding its business footprint into Saskatchewan. UFA has announced plans to build a card lock in the RM of Corman Park along Highway 16 near Saskatoon. Work on the $5 million-plus facility will begin this spring. Of course, UFA already has retail locations in Yorkton and Weyburn, with further expansion plans expected in the future. Don Smith is UFA's Vice President of Petroleum and Innovation. We are very excited about coming uh, further into Saskatchewan and expanding our presence there. Specifically, the new facility that we are going to be building just outside of Saskatoon. 
He explains what their facility on Highway 16 northwest of Saskatoon will offer. It is going to be one of our let's say, uh, typical card lock-in and bulk fuel facilities. What that means is this is going to be a strong card lock offering, so multiple lanes, wide lanes, high-speed pumps, and that's going to be able to provide both clear and uh, dyed diesel, gasoline, as well as our proprietary product, Diesel X Gold. And Diesel X Gold is a different product that really adds a, a lot of value, a lot of Uh, enhanced power and efficiency and effectiveness to those consumers that use diesel in their equipment. Smith says the card lock isn't just for farmers and ranchers. Anybody can buy from UFA and anybody can, any individual can be actually a, a member of UFA as a cooperative. We are primarily an agricultural based cooperative and that is certainly one of our focuses is to make sure that we are adding value to our agricultural customers. So, you know, that is going to be a primary focus for us, but that doesn't mean that we don't welcome any other type of uh, customer or business uh, or individual. UFA stands for United Farmers of Alberta, but he says they just go by UFA now. We are really, from a brand perspective, we are really going forward as, uh, as just UFA. But our roots are as an Alberta-based cooperative. But, uh, you know, we really feel what we do is of value to the entire Western Canadian agricultural basin. And again, providing that value to operations uh, within Western Canada. Smith explains why UFA is moving into Western Saskatchewan. Well, we feel that it is a market that, you know, has a very strong agricultural community. One that we think that our differentiated service and products and offerings can add value to them. And that's what we're about. We're about supporting agricultural communities. We're about uh, trying to add value to all of our customers. And uh, we think that we have a unique position to be able to do that. He talks about their operations that have already opened here in Saskatchewan. Sure, yeah. We've just actually uh, operationalized uh, two new locations, one in Yorkton and one in Weyburn. We have agents in those areas, and those agents are the ones that operate those sites. And these are people who are uh, already ingrained in that community. And that's a big part of what UFA is, is being involved in the community, being supportive of that community, and really developing those long-lasting, deep relationships with our customers. Smith says they're not done expanding into Saskatchewan. Absolutely. Our plans aren't done and we're going to continue to expand. He notes UFA will pay out a record dividend to its members this year. Yes, absolutely. It's going to be a record cash allocation out to our members. It was $28 million that we've announced that is going back. Some of that in shares, but most of it in cash. This is going to be paid on all of our fuel products. So, Members who purchase any fuel from us uh, will be getting $0.06 per litre on Diesel X Gold, $0.05 on all other diesel products, $0.01 on gasoline. And then there's also a a 3% patronage payout to certain select purchases from our farm and ranch stores, which we don't have in Saskatchewan yet. And Smith had these final comments. Well, I I can tell you that uh, we are really excited uh, about expanding our offers further into Saskatchewan 
and being able to be supportive of those communities. Uh, We're a cooperative that's been around for 114 years, and we expect to be around for another 100 years. Saskatchewan is is an area that is full of promise, full of growth, and we want to be a part of that uh, and help support that growth within Saskatchewan. That's Don Smith, UFA's Vice President of Petroleum and Innovation. The Alberta-based agricultural cooperative is expanding its business base by building a card lock valued north of $5 million in the RM of Corman Park near Saskatoon. The project will begin this spring. Farm Bulletin Board. Bayer Crop Science has launched the 2023 Opportunity Scholarship Program for students. There's $96,000 in scholarship funding available to graduating grade 12 students. The application deadline is June 8th of this year. You can apply online through Universities Canada, and two scholarships have been earmarked for Indigenous youths. So if you apply before June 8th, Eighth, you will be eligible for one of the 32 scholarships, each valued at $3,000, offered by Bayer Crop Science Canada. If you know of a student planning to pursue studies in agriculture or a food-related discipline of the study, you can encourage them to apply today. Once again, the deadline is June 8th. And don't forget, GX and Agriculture is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose GX and Agriculture. And yes, it is free. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Partly to mainly sunny, winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, and a high of minus 10. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds west-southwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 21. For tomorrow, sunny, winds southwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 4, a low of minus 12. For Thursday, mainly cloudy, winds variable at 10 to 20, and a high of minus 3. For Friday, partly sunny, a high of minus 5, and Saturday, partly sunny, with a 30% chance of flurries, a high of 0. In the Paw, it's minus 11 degrees. Swan River is at minus 13. Dauphin, minus 10. Brandon, minus 13. Show Lake Russell, minus 14. Roblin, minus 16. Regina, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, all reporting in at minus 13 degrees. Saskatoon, minus 11. Hudson Bay, minus 10. Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 14. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west-southwest wind at 18 kilometers an hour. 61% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 10 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 18 degrees. 
That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.